Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support the independent financial advisor community because they believe that every firm of every size deserves a custodian that is committed and passionate, one that provides world-class resources, technology, and people who thoroughly understand your firm's goals, one that will work tirelessly to give you the winning edge. Hello and welcome to RIA Edge. My name is Mark Bruno. I'm Managing Director at the Informa Connect Wealth Management Group. And we are delighted to have a very special guest here today. We have Matt Reagan, the president of Wealthcare Capital Group, one of the largest and fastest growing firms in the industry. He'll sit down with us today and talk quite a bit about some of the firm's success on the inorganic side and also give us a sneak preview of what's to come on the inorganic side of things. So Matt, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure, Mark. Great to be with you. And as our audience is familiar, on RA Edge, we really aim to address one topic and one topic in great detail, and that is growth. More specifically, as we like to focus on intentional growth. And as I've said before, if you've met one RIA, then you've met one RIA. There is no blueprint for figuring out how to grow strategically through M&A or organic growth, you know, marketing, business development, client acquisition, et cetera. Everybody has their own way of thinking about it and everybody has their own way of approaching it. And Matt, you've been one of the fastest growing firms in the space. I know you joined Wealthcare back in 2018. So you've got a few years under your belt now to tell us a story about the success at Wealthcare. Before we get in and do a deep dive in the business itself, would you mind just from a business perspective, giving us a little bit of background and some detail on the business model, uh, the ownership for Wealthcare, and also just some of your growth rates that you've experienced in recent years? Sure. Yeah. Wealthcare is a, is a really interesting company. It's got, a, it's got a great history and story. It started in 1999 by a gentleman named Dave Loper down in Richmond, who uh, invented the industry's first goals-based financial planning software. Dave was an incredibly visionary person and technologist and wealth manager and really pioneered the whole idea of goals-based planning. That software was distributed far and wide in the industry and ultimately is, is used by every Wells Fargo advisor. They know it as Envision. It was the basis of United Capital's honest conversation. That, that business was built on our planning software. And there were several other large enterprise deployments. Dave ultimately built an RIA around this planning software and actually integrated the investment solution as well as the trading and rebalancing piece of the advisor dashboard into this piece of software. Wealthcare is unique in the industry in that it is the one you know, single software solution that integrates goals-based planning, the investment solution, as well as an implementation trading and rebalancing engine. Dave uh, built the business up to a certain point and ended up selling it to a mid-market private equity firm in the Philadelphia area called New Spring Partners. And New Spring in 2016 launched, did essentially a pivot away from a direct software sales of the planning software and built what we call our AUM model, which is essential. We are a te technology-enabled RIA that supports advisors that are moving towards independence. So what does that mean? We provide our outsourced technology platform as well as the human capital around that. Think billing, compliance, marketing support, trading and rebalancing operations. That whole service offering coupled with the technology really becomes a complete outsourced solution that advisors can take advantage of as they leave the wirehouses, the independent broker-dealer channels set out on their own. So the firm today supports uh, 175 or so advisors across the country. We've grown to about $4.5 billion uh, of AUM right now. We are a fee-only RIA, although we do have 
Uh, we are a pure hybrid at, at LPL and have advisors that do have broker-dealer business, but we don't participate in that revenue. Okay, got it. And thank you for giving that history and the overview of the business. It is a different type of business model. And I, I think the origin really being rooted at the company and planning and technology makes you know wealthcare incredibly unique when you look across the RIA ecosystem. So if I would have attempted to articulate the history <laughs> and the intent, I would not have gotten anywhere near the job that you just did. So thank you. I appreciate it. And I think given the model, given your focus and given some of the problems that you solve for clients, I, it'd be really great if you could also just offer a bit of an overview of who your ideal you know, wealthcare client is and what is it you know, from a, a problem solution perspective that you address that no other RIA in the industry can address. Yeah, I'm happy to. I think we do a. I think we do a really good job in a couple of places. Number one is the emerging advisor. So think of the advisor that has between twenty and one hundred fifty million dollars in AUM and is thinking about heading out on their own, maybe establishing their own RIA. You know, certainly establishing their own practice. We provided a, a really nice solution for those, what I call the emerging advisors. We will put them on our ADV. They'll do their own, use their own brand, their own DBA. We'll handle all the non-revenue generating activities that I just listed before in that overview. And they can focus on what's really important, which is prospects and client work. So that kind of fits squarely in our, our theme today because what we have created is a solution where our advisors that we've added in the last three to four years are growing at three to four times the industry average organic. And the reason that they're doing that is because they're not spending time billing clients, fixing trade errors, doing compliance, or picking investments. So we think we've got a, a tremendous solution for them. The other piece of our, the other part of the industry that we do a really nice job in is what I would call the, the classic ensemble practice. And there, what we have is we have a number of advisors, our larger advisors, advisor groups that are tucking in smaller advisors, building real businesses, creating larger practices. But the key to that is to standardize and create a framework uh, and an approach to the delivery of their wealth management solution. They do that with the wealth care process. You know, why is that important? Well, I think everybody in the industry would tell you that the reason it's important is the only way to create true enterprise value in your practice uh, is to get away from that completely bespoke approach. So by adopting our platform, our structure, these ensemble type practices are creating something that has incredible value. So that's really the two sweet spots that we see in the marketplace. Excellent. And just out of curiosity, when I asked what the ideal client profile looks like, you mentioned some unique characteristics just about some of the advisors that you have and you know, the ability that you provide to them to actually just do the planning and not a lot of the, the, the grunt work, so to speak. What is the profile of you're out actively recruiting or you're looking to help some of these ensembles to find an individual who they can talk. How do you describe what the ideal advisor is for wealth care? Well, I'll, I'll kind of put it this way. If you've met one wealth care advisor, you've met one wealth care <laughs> advisor. That's not fair. You can't steal my lines, right? And we really do have advisors that have different competencies. We have some that you know have niche practices, some that are, I mentioned, kind of larger ensembles. If I was going to look across the universe of the 15,000 clients that are here that are attached to 175 advisors, and by the way, those advisors own those client relationships. 
Um, they own their practices. They own their client. Role. I would say we skew towards mass affluent. I would say that we are, these are planning centric relationships. The planning software is at the core of it. These are people that are focused on what we call the comfort zone, which is our proprietary planning software. It, it creates a comfort zone score, which is a numerical representation of the likelihood of meeting the goals and the plans. So these are people that are not focusing on, you know, why don't I have Tesla in my portfolio or why can't I beat the S&P? They're much more focused on the holistic goals-based plan and the likelihood of success uh, and working with an advisor on an ongoing basis. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that's what I think about when I think about the typical wealth care client. No, and I appreciate that. It's uh, a simple question with a lot of different answers. <laughs> so thank you for you know, giving the, the broad description there. I do want to talk about why you chose to join Wealthcare back in 2018. You were obviously very successful before you were at Wealthcare, Chief Operating Officer at Westcott Financial Advisory Group, which was one of the fastest growing firms in the industry. What drew you to Wealthcare? And part two of that question, you know, since you've joined, how's the experience been relative to your expectations? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I was working at Westcott is a, a fantastic firm down in Philadelphia, and they are, as you said, a, a fast growing $2 billion plus uh, RIA. And I was kind of running the day-to-day the -day operations down there, which I loved and, and would have been happy to stay. I was recruited into Wealthcare by Newspring. And what really drew me to it, I think more, I, I, I go back to my earlier you know, career I was always kind of around the intersection of operations and technology and in wealth management and financial technology. So the, the wealthcare platform, the GDX360 technology, which is what we call it for the goals-driven experience, that was a new challenge for me coming out of Westcott to really kind of take the, take the horns on managing a technology company again. Because in many ways, we are a technology company, although we don't lead with software sales. We, we are providing something unique in the end. And I guess to the second half, it's been tremendous. It's a great team. I have so much admiration for the advisors that we've recruited to our platform. I never was an advisor. I never had a book of business. I have nothing but you know admiration and awe for the work that they do with their clients. And it's really been a, a great ride kind of growing the business with them. It's a really interesting business. And you touched on something in your response there that uh, I have to ask. Is Wealthcare, in your mind, more of a technology company or more of a wealth management company? Yeah, I'd probably give you a different answer on different days. You know, what, where I really think, where I think that we are unique in the sense that we are providing a solution in the, that many people in the industry provide. You know, people ask me who we compete against. Well, we compete against anybody that supports advisors. So we compete against Orion. We compete against InvestNet. Of course, I compete against Carson and great firms like that. But anybody that supports an advisor in any way, as they move towards independence or as they, they search for outsourced solutions, whether it's a TAMP or whether it's another planning software, we compete against. So we have we have a lot, a lot of, of competitors in the marketplace, but none that look exactly like us, which is interesting because we have this proprietary technology. Definitely. And I think that leads me to the next set of questions, really, where you teed up just some of the growth that you've had in recent years. I mean, you talked about, you know, scale obviously being an important contributor to it, but could you break down just the growth as you look since you've joined, let's say, what portion of the growth is organic versus inorganic and strategically what's driving, right? The, the major contributions to your overall growth rates. Well, 
Yeah. So I joined in, in, in 2018 and we were about, you know, we measure our, our for better or for worse, we measure our, our, you know, key metric is AUM. And we were at about a billion seven when I joined. And as I mentioned, we're at about four and a half billion now. So that's pretty good growth, right? But the bottom line is, is the, the market helps, makes me look really smart. But the truth is, is that we track our own advisors' organic growth rates very closely. And we do that net of any market appreciation. <clears throat> and that that number for the, the advisors that have joined us in the last three and a half years is between 14 and 16%. And it's been running that pretty steadily for the last three years. And as you know, Mark, that's three to four times what the industry average is for organic growth. We, we are focusing on smaller advisors. So there's that emerging growth story that's in there. But I think you know the key reason why our advisors are able to grow that quickly is because they are you know taking advantage of a complete outsource solution and focusing on the revenue generating part of their businesses. And we're looking to improve even on that. We spend a lot of time on practice management. You know, I brought in a, a tremendous resource, Mark Chucci, who really built the United Capital business with Joe Duran. And he's a senior consultant for us. He works directly with our advisors. He ran an enormous book of business that he sold before he joined United Capital. So, I mean, he's walked in these guys' shoes and he can sit down uh, with an advisor and talk to them about segmenting their clients client base, using the planning software to deepen the client interactions <clears throat> and generally, you know, gives them lots of good information and advice about how to grow their practice nicely. We have a full marketing support team that handles kind of the brand management, sets up the websites, spends time running email campaigns on behalf of the advisors. You know, th there's a whole ecosystem here that are that's there to support these advisors in, you know, that key metric, which is organic growth. It's uh, amazing, really, what you mentioned just in terms of the organic growth rates. It really is exceptional. We've talked to a lot of firms that are you know, on this podcast that are in the 15 to 20% range, which you know, the more you listen to RI Edge, the more it sounds like the norm. But in reality, it's uh, the average growth rate, as you mentioned, is much closer to 4 to 5%, which I've always thought was interesting because the hurdle rate, if you look at the client's loss or the assets from client's loss or distributions uh, taken by existing clients, is also four to five percent too, right? In a given year, so most firms take the market out are just running in place. And obviously, the markets have been really strong for quite some time, and that's masked a lot of issues that some RIAs have had in terms of how strategically they're really growing. So you clearly have a vision, you clearly have a strategy, and you mentioned at the outset too, just the inorganic uh, growth side of things. We've had. A number of people have been major acquirers. And when people think about inorganic growth, they're typically thinking about you know, M&A, but obviously recruiting, you mentioned Tuckins, big part of it. Can you talk to us a little bit about what role inorganic growth plays in the overall growth and the evolution of wealth care? Yeah. So we, you know, we see it as critical strategic initiative, but we don't look at it the way that everybody, not, not everybody, that other people look at it. You know, we're certainly not going to write checks like CI Financial or, or many of those people focus, but we see inorganic growth as strategic in a couple of ways. Number one is our wealth care direct channel is our direct to customer channel that we support with employee advisors. So very different than our affiliated model or 1099 or profit formula advisors. And in, in wealth care direct, what we're providing is in many ways, a practice management solution. So we've gone to our advisors and said, you know, take a look at your book, you know, segment your client base, take those C clients, the smaller non-strategic non accounts and flip them over to us. We'll service them in the same way 
We'll put them in plans. We'll give them a comfort zone score. We'll meet with them virtually twice a year and we'll provide them the service that they need. And then you can focus on finding more A and B clients. So we see that, you know, that that piece as really buying clients. So it's inorganic, it's growth, but it's strategic for our advisors. The second piece of that is we have a succession planning for the wealth care advisors where we'll enter into a contract with them. And then if God forbid something happens, or if they want to ride off into the sunset, they can turn their clients over to WealthCare Direct and we'll continue to service them in the WealthCare way. The other piece of it is we are actually you know, starting to talk to firms about making you know, outright acquisitions. And in that scenario, we have a very, spe- very kind of specific target and a, and a specific type of advisor that we're looking for. And we're looking for advisors there who are planning focused, are not in the multi-billion dollar range. We see some green fields in that 150 to 300 million dollar range, you know, we we like the idea of a sell and stay. Um, we like the idea of a, a sell and leave in, if there's a transition period. And we're happy to make minority investments in in you know firms that we meet and firms that are already with us. So we do intend to kind of get into the inorganic you know M and A space, and we're working on that in real time right now. But I don't see us competing with the big boys for the multi billion dollar shops. Right. No, and I appreciate that. It's a different model, right? They're, in many cases, they're professional buyers, right? A big part of their growth you know, depends on their ability to go out and do large acquisitions. And the more large acquisitions you do, the more large acquisitions you have to continue to do, right? To, to grow at the same rate. And with that, I actually do want to put just some industry uh, developments in context, you know, picking up on the M&A piece a little bit. I look at the RIA channel over the last you know, two or three years since, let's say, 2018, when you joined, everything changed right, for the whole industry. But you've seen so much M&A, so much consolidation, and there's just so much influence concentrated at the upper end of the RIA ecosystem. You know, not from a wealth care perspective, but really more from an industry perspective. How will all of this consolidation and this influence at the upper end of the RIA channel impact the end investor and the clients? Is it a net positive? Is it a net negative? What's your view? Well, I mean, first and foremost, I think there's a long way to go, right? I mean, this notion that there was going to be a handful of national RIA firms that are going to be a trillion dollar firms is certainly we're getting closer to some of that, but there's lots and lots of independent practices out there and they're grumpy. So I think there's a long way to go on it. My, my view of what's going on is, you know, there's a little bit of financial engineering that goes on. And, you know, you know this as well as anybody, Mark. The natural arbitrage that exists when a $10 billion advisor buys a billion dollar advisor on the closing day, the, the multiple flips up to a much higher number and it's a very attractive financial engineering play. So private equity is, is going gonna, is gonna to run that through as long as they possibly can. What I'm encouraged by is that I, I've seen kind of the serial acquirers come in and add real value to these, these mega deals. If you look at groups like Allworth or you look at groups like WEG, they really are providing value to the firms that they're purchasing. And it, it's not just in the checks that they're writing to the founders, it's in finding new clients for those advisors and, and driving leads. And so I, I think as long as those acquirers are, are adding true value to the firms that they purchase, it's a good thing. I think what remains to be seen is essentially at these these mega deals are turning entrepreneurial founders of wealth management firms into kind of 35% payout advisors. And I don't know how I don't know what the long tail of that is. I think you feel differently about your client relationships 
if your name's on the door and you built the firm and it's it's your business, then you do as an employee of a large serial acquirer. But I don't know that to be the case. Right. No, and that's a great observation, right? There are a lot of different dynamics at play here. And I appreciate, you know, your ability to deconstruct the RIA channel, right? And see where there are obviously beneficiaries in different ways. But I would agree with you. Some of the firms that you've mentioned we've had on this podcast before, they're adding a lot of value. And in the process, you know, they're making them either better advisors or better businesses or in the best case scenarios, both. So with that, just sort of sticking in the industry you know, lane for a moment too. If we look, you know, three to five years, the RIA channel has obviously matured quite a bit in recent years, continues to mature, has more and more assets, more and more advisors. Where do you think the RIA industry will be three to five years from now? You know, we're tracking a few kind of, you know, key developments that we think that, that could change things. But some of them are almost product oriented, right? I think the RIA industry will increasingly embrace insurance products. And that's a story that has gone in and out over the years is in the independent broker dealer space. But I think fee-friendly annuity products will become more you know, standard in, in an RIA practice. And it's not just looking for yield. It's because some of these products are really good. And the reflex of turning your nose up in an insurance product or a commissionable product, I think is, you know, something that doesn't stand the, the test of quality as some of these products. And there's, there's other products, things like, you know, reverse mortgages that, that I think are going to be become an important part of estate planning and, and, and retirement planning. And they carry kind of a, a taint today that I think like annuities did that, that, that will ultimately move away because there's a lot of value in things like that. So I think some of the industry will morph a little bit in the product set, but I think ultimately it's the RIA, the RIA channel, the fee-only channel will continue to grow and, and thrive. I mean, there's a lot of people that are selling commissionable products in broker-dealers. I wouldn't want to bet on the long-term viability of that channel. And I think ultimately those people will continue to migrate towards the fee-only world. But I do think some of the products in the fee-only world might change in, in the coming years. Several conversations over the last couple of weeks just around you know, more advanced planning strategies and within those discussions, the role of insurance, right? Fee-friendly insurance and annuity type products comes up more and more. And certainly on the insurance side, you see more of the insurance providers, you know, coming up with solutions to address that and work, you know, with the RIA community more closely. So thank you for picking up on that. It's the first mention of it on RIA Edge, which is always exciting for me. And then just as a, a final question here, as you think about you know, what's ahead for wealth care, I am curious before you look ahead, if we look back a bit at the last 18 months, when you know everybody for the most part has been operating in an increasingly digital world, what have we learned about the advisor client dynamic and you know, what changes have been accelerated based on our sort of ability, right, to work, or your ability, I should say, to work more remotely and virtually with clients and prospects? I, I was actually shocked, not shocked, but I was pleasantly surprised when COVID hit, I reached out to all of our advisors and so many of the, our advisors were already doing virtual meetings and using Zoom, but they were way ahead of the curve on that. So, you know, that's certainly accelerated and the ability to deal with clients virtually has been fantastic. And I think that never goes away, right? I don't know that anybody really wants to drive into downtown, you know, Detroit and pay for parking and go up to a high rise building and sit with a financial advisor if they don't have to. So that's certainly changed. But I think, again, look, what's been really clear to me 
is that advisors have learned, and we've seen this in advisors that we recruited, that what matters is them in the client relationship. It isn't the you know deep shag carpeting at the Merrill offices or the grandfather clock or the mahogany desk or the name on the business card. What advisors learned during the pandemic is that the key to the client relationship is the advisor, the client, and that interaction. And that independence is even more, again, it's validated as something that, that really works. So we're excited about that. We think the last 18 months counterintuitively have validated the wealth care approach. Yeah, I think you're set up more so than many others, right? To sort of operate at a certain level of scale, right? And obviously being you know, core technology company in your origins too, helps quite a bit. It's, it's interesting too, one other thought, as I remember you mentioned your advisors and how much they've embraced video conferencing. I remember doing a research study years ago where we went out to advisors and investors and wanted to learn about their communication preferences and advisors were all over video conferencing. Right. They wanted to do it and they were like, let's do it. It actually makes me more efficient. It's a lot easier for me too. But the clients weren't interested. Right. They were oddly much more comfortable with the traditional in person once a quarter, once every six months type of meeting. Right. And it's not surprising considering that the clients are typically, you know, older than their advisors in a lot of cases. But the last 18 months has just accelerated you know, change for them more than anything, I would say. I and mean, they just became very comfortable with and familiar with virtual appointments and getting all of their information digitally for better or for worse. I'm not surprised to hear that you guys have been in a good position. No, I mean, if the only way you could see the grandkids is on a Zoom call, you're going to learn how to use Zoom. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Here's the link. Just click on it. Right. All right. Well, Matt, thank you so much for walking through you know, little bit of the wealth care story, obviously doing a deep dive on the growth side of things and your strategy and also giving us your views just on the RIA industry. And before we sign off here, is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you think would be important for our audience, you know, specifically somebody who's running an RIA firm and is thinking about you know, their growth strategy and future growth opportunities? No, I think, look, when I think about the key challenges in the industry. It's the lack of succession planning that's out there. It's you know how to meet the next gen and keep that wealth in the firm. And then lastly, the other one is, is organic growth. So look, advisors need to find a way to solve for that. And we think that outsourcing is a, a really good solution, certainly not the only one. It could be leveraging AI or leveraging you know, digital marketing. There, there's lots of ways to skin the cat. But I think advisors, if they're, if they're building valuable practices, you know, have to solve for that. And we think we have one solution. There's lots of them out there, but it's something that all advisors need to continue to focus on because I don't think it's going to get any easier for them. No. And I think you're a good example of how unique an RIA can be and how you can really, with a clear focus uh, and intent, grow right at an incredible rate. So congrats on the success that you've had since you joined a few years back. And we are definitely looking forward to seeing what else is to come from you and the wealth care team over time. Appreciate it, Mark. Great to talk with you. Uh, Matt, again, it was a pleasure having you on here. Thank you so much for walking us through the wealth care story, some of your success, the contributors to the success. And we are very much Looking forward to seeing where you take things in the near future. So on behalf of the entire Informa Connect and Wealth Management team, thank you again for joining us. I'm Mark Bruno. We'll look forward to having you all join us in the next episode of the RIA Edge podcast. Take care, everybody. Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast. 
and equally proud to support the independent financial advisor community because they believe every firm of every size deserves a custodian that is committed and passionate, one that provides world-class resources, technology, and people who thoroughly understand your firm's goals, one that will work tirelessly to give you the winning edge. Learn more at advisorservices.schwab.com.